Hi everyone. Hiya. Hiya. Nyan Kaur Bobby. Um, before we start, I'd like to pay my respects to my elders past and present and um, give thanks to be able to create and work and collaborate with you beautiful people on Yunga Buja. Um, I'm very nervous. I've never done a small group discussion. I've never led a discussion before, so bear with me. Um, <laughs> so we're here to talk about Indigenous futurism. Um, I've been really interested in Indigenous futurism, Indigenous futurism in the last couple of years due to my Masters in Performing Arts, which is Indigenous representations of women in theatre and theatre narratives and any narrative. So then I got introduced to Amblin Kwe Mullina, who's a um, Pakalau woman from up north, and she wrote a piece called A Sharla Wolf, which is a teenage dystopian futuristic drama. And in that she took science fiction and embedded that with indigenous ways of being, knowing and doing through the narrative. So for example, in that um, people are separated by their special abilities. So if you have a special ability, you're put off to a different side, but you need to apply for citizenship. So they have something called the citizenship accords. So that narrative reflects the colonial narrative of us having to apply for citizenship. So those sort of narratives are, re are, are put through the science fiction narrative. Um, but before we talk about Indigenous futurism, I need to pay my respects as to where the whole idea of this came from. And it came from a man in the early 90s, a white man called Mark Deary, who coined the phrase Afrofuturism, which comes from the dysphoria of um, African-American technology and culture in the last 400 years. So we have like Wakanda and things like that. Um, and then another lady in 2019 took that a step further and coined African futurism, which again layers the science fiction narrative with more of an indigenous um an indigenous layer so again that is from the continent of africa so it goes past more than the last 400 years of slavery and colonization then we have the wonderful grace dylan an anishinaabe woman anishinaabe, yeah. from canada who coined the phrase um native futurism Indigenous futurism, and uh, she brought an, an an anthology of dreaming stories, and um, compared that to science fiction. But she used a certain framework, which is the science fiction framework plus the indigenous ways of being, knowing, and doing. So that's where I'm at. It's a very new way of looking at things there's not much research on the subject as far as indigenous futurism is concerned it's mainly grace dylan who's done most of the work <coughs> and in australia in australia it's amblin quay malana and claire coleman who wrote terra nullius um and then we have also david milroy yeah who wrote a futurism piece called thula no, it's actually called Swine River. Swine River. Yeah, Eva can talk to you about that. <laughs> right now? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so the original piece was called Swine River and it was, um, it is about 
well, it was written well over 10 years ago, and so it was written about now, actually, um, around Western Australia being a state of mining and, and how um, the First Nations people of the Pilbara, specifically because that's where David's from, uh, were surviving, not particularly thriving. And so it's an absurdist piece, um, but a lot of fun. Yeah, it quite in your face, and we just loved it for that. But so we, I uh, read that last year. Last year, did I yeah. call it? Yep. <laughs> it feels yeah. like 10 years ago already. Um, so I directed that last year with the Aboriginal Performance um, crew at WAPA, and we looked at the dates that were on it originally, and it was like now, in, in 2019, 2020, 2021 onwards, and I went, well, how long for this? Uh, situation I asked the students how long do you think it would take for us to get from where we are now to this desolate um, dystopian kind of world and they uh, they said 10 years and that was I was like whoo <laughs> and that's really interesting that you say that and Coleman also reflects on that like <laughs> as indigenous people we are now living in a dystopian world yeah. Um, yeah. we had our apocalypse when we had colonization mm. So it's uh, very raw and very mm. present for us. Um, it's not science fiction, it's science faction, science fact. Mm. Um, and our knowledge that we embed into these narratives is true for us. Mm. It's not make-believe, it's not speculative fiction, yeah. which I find really, really interesting. Eva, can you talk to us about Thula and about how you addressed trauma mm. through futurism yep. with the added um, aspect of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're always told make it funny, <laughs> which is quite often hard to do. Um, so Wallady Thula last year was actually two of David Milroy's plays. Um, one was Killer Kane and the other one was Swine River. I've always wanted to direct Swine River because it is a futuristic dystopian world and I'm a big fan of that genre. So, and, and it's real, you know, one of the first things you see is um, an Aboriginal, it's going to sound quite shocking, it's not as shocking as it sounds, you see an Aboriginal man with a, a bag over his head get shot in the head and then he comes back to life, you know, I'm kind of ruining the plot for you a little bit here, but he comes back to life and they shoot him in the heart and then he comes back to life and so the rest of the play he is, he is there with a, a hole in his head and a hole in his heart, we did that with beating. You know, it's not sequence, as traumatic as you think. Sequence, sequence and beating. And yeah. <laughs> um, like literally a pocket in the costume, you know, and, and a, a headpiece. But the the point of it, I think, uh, that David was getting around to was we, we just refuse to die. We're not going anywhere, <laughs> you know, which is fantastic. And that kept us uh, spirited. But it, it was, we dealt with the trauma of the fact that the land is being dug up, that our land is disappearing, that we have no rights to our own land. Um, uh, in, in a fluid and theatrical <laughs> and actually movement way. It, there's a lot of beautiful rhythm and poetry in the piece, so we, we didn't have to sit in, in the trauma of that reality for too long before we could actually pull it back into the absurdism of it and say, yes, this is happening, but look at how strong we are, you know. and. Um, Killer Kane, the first act, is set in the now in um, over around a native title disagreement. 
So what we what Rick and I tried to do, Rick Brayford at WAPA tried to do was say, this is the now and this is the future if we don't do something. Um, yeah. What was the rest of the question? <laughs> Comedy. Comedy. Comedy, yes. So uh, Swine River or Walladu Thula was uh, my half. My act two was set in a courtroom mostly. It's out, out in country and then straight into a courtroom where that, that black fella that was shot in the head and heart is getting tried for uh, not complying with um, reasonable requests to die. <laughs> it's it's black comedy. It's a hundred percent black comedy. And through costume and staging and blocking, we really worked with making it more absurd. The more the more absurd we could make it, the more actually relatable it was. Because it it is an absurd future, but it's also a, a very real future uh, for us. So with costuming, we. Um, I had an all-Indigenous cast, which is beautiful, playing some of them playing very non-Indigenous characters. So we, we played with the idea of um, levels of assimilation and, and we played with that in costume as well. So the black fella was dressed in black um, and I think uh, kind of ochre-coloured pants and we gradiented up the grey to stark white. So um, I can't remember his name and it was a play on a real person. He was there to testify that uh, the Indigenous people's will to survive is absurd and against the law and, yada, and he was dressed in a completely white suit. And it was just a stunning contrast between and I, yeah, I, I really enjoy playing with that, not just the gradient and the colour, but the gradient and the attitudes and the way we talk and the way we walk and, and all of that. So we really hammed it up and it was a lot of fun. And, it, and, it, yeah. and that's a way of like, in, that in itself is movement and activism. Totally. Yeah. And revival. Yeah. Which is. And education. Um, and education, which is the platform that Indigenous futurism can give us. Um, tell us about the women in the piece um, um, and how do we as women interact with ideas around Indigenous futurism? Mm. Mm. Well, that's a hard question. Uh, the women in the piece, um, I had more uh, female identifying actors to work with than I did uh, male identifying actors. So. Um, I made the women, the judge, the lawyer, um, the executioner, the you know, so across the whole gamut, which was a lot of fun. So the main executioner at the start, he actually, his apprentice um, was a young woman that was quite connected to country. Mm. And by the end of, and so mm. one of the laws was the executioner had to stay drunk. If they were drunk, then they couldn't sue the company for making them do what they want to do because they were allowed to be drunk. So, you know, that's a pretty simple expression of it. It's much better in the script. Um, so by the end of it, the executioner's apprentice was the executioner. The other guy had quit and she was drunk. Okay. And so it, there was this kind of really cool, depressing but also funny play around um, how we are seen and not just we're seen as um, Indigenous people but as women as well. That Yeah, so... And um, I had the amazing Tay Jamison, Taya Jamison playing that one, Pigram. Um, and she struggled with it. She really struggled with it. She struggled with becoming 
what so often our communities are seen as, which was which is um, an impressionable um, and reliant on on alcohol uh, young woman mm. to cope with life and her job and all of that. When she first came in, she's optimistic. She's like, I'm here on work experience and this looked like a great thing. And by the end of it, she's the executioner that is drunk. And we had some really good talks about it. And I was like, it's it's a nice, actually not a nice, but it's a good way for us to show reasons behind why some people are, can be like that, mm -hmm. you know? Sure. But it's also a nice way for us to think about how we, we don't want to be like that. If we don't interrogate these things, how do we know, um, how do we know how we want to be seen, I suppose? As a, as a community, not as an individual. Yeah, and that's yeah. another really, so within, with Indigenous Futurism, we've got a movement, a voice. Um, where was I getting at with that? A movement, a voice, but also as myself, as an Indigenous woman, I think it's a great platform to give women, black or white, mm. a voice. Mm. Um, yes. You know, you talked about the conversations that the the students were having. Mm. How how were they like? What mm. were they what were they finding and exploring with such a <laughs> different way of looking at yeah. the persecutions that are happening to them and to their families? Um, the most interesting thing about the conversations and and you know you picking up on it is that none of them were surprised and. I mean, I wasn't surprised either that they weren't surprised because we grow up hearing these stories and we grow up seeing um, how people perceive us and our families. So it it wasn't it wasn't a surprise that this was in the writing, even written by an indigenous writer. And to do that with comedy, I'm yeah. I, when I because seeing the show <laughs> and mm -hmm. seeing the audience reactions, because I was with it could you be anything seeing, about comedy. It was amazing seeing the reactions. I was with you, mobs of the. Mm. <laughs> of a laughing and it was like it was and it's dark humor it's yeah. but beautifully done and then uh non-indigenous audiences were kind of laughing but not sure if they were la I was, I was, they were not sure if they were allowed they to, have yeah. any conversations around like what it was like to have that impact on an audience no but we have impact that impact on an audience no matter what we do yeah true um, there's nothing better than having an indigenous audience because we all get the same jokes we all have that same dark sense of humor um, it is it is a matter of you either laugh or cry kind of uh, dark humor but like I was saying none of them were surprised so and the the words coming out of mouths and the juxtaposition of the court case on on what we see as the law now and and I, that's either LORE or LAW and what it could be like in the future if WA was a state of mining it's so absurd it had to be funny there was mm. there was no other way around it, and yeah. I think that's that's where it's a safe space to explore trauma. Absolutely, yeah, um, yeah for the audience and as a performer. Does anybody else have any questions or anything they would like to? Yeah, about um, like I guess knowing the line as artists between because the the potential of indigenous futurisms and in science fiction with uh, speaking to like visions of the world like where you're free in terms of that's like one version of what this kind of genre can be used to do but also knowing that it can be used to do this truth-telling in very stark ways and how do you navigate that and it, that might be because of like yeah I guess I guess in terms of I'm asking personally from my perspective as an artist of knowing 
learning when when the right place is to have those two different kinds of conversations about freedom and truth and, mm. and mm. where this is a genre that that can all kind of happen that's something i'm exploring now because tegan and i are working on a piece um but eva might be able to it's something i always want to explore mm. the the kind of um the downside to that is i've asked a lot of people that question like just similarly what do we want to write about if we're writing about future um, and blackfellas in the future? And I get an almost resounding sound of crickets because people have a hard time imagining a good future. Um, yeah, it's it, all the futurism I've seen, especially um, Indigenous futurism, is based around trauma and past traumas. And I'm not really... I mean, Bobby knows this as well. I'm not really interested in exploring trauma anymore. I don't want to keep putting our actors and our performers and our audiences through trauma. There are other ways we can tackle that now. But trying to see a future without us constantly tackling our trauma as is seeming very hard. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I can't answer you on where that fits. I, I really do believe absurdism is a way to go because you can heighten and... Um, and take us out of that the literal trauma and heighten it to a, a level where we're discussing it on actually a real plane. Yeah. Any other questions? I've got a question. Um, do you ever think about like reimagining? Mm. Like reimagining? Because remember we were driving through. Yeah, well, that's interesting because I work with um, Emma Fishwick on her creative development from here together at the State Theatre. And I suppose reimagining that colonial. Uh, yeah, a lot happen. of her work is reimagining colonial art pieces mm. um, and putting it in a, in a futuristic setting. And I think that's a great idea of looking at things and, um, and, and um, decolonising space, um, which is something that we could look at as well taken so yeah but that's interesting as well because I mean Emma Fishwick and and from what I've heard of, of your guys pieces you're you're looking at a future from from behind so um, Emma Fishwick's works went was it 60s and 70s mm -hmm. and and like you guys are looking at the 80s and I'm looking at the 90s yeah. so it's it's like how do we bring our history into our future in a healthy way mm -hmm. while exploring everything in between yeah I think I think what I was trying like reimagining I I try so hard. Mm. It is really hard to imagine um, a future where we're not still existing within our trauma. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. Like I said, but I try and imagine what a future could be like if we had actually moved on. If we had actually uh, said yes. we've we've dealt with this, we're healed yeah. now. Where would we be? Um, and I draw blanks to be honest. Mm. I I don't. I've got a great imagination, but I don't think it's that good just yet. Yeah, I haven't seen no example of it either. Or even so. exploring the concept of an alien race. Mm. Independence Day. Yeah, coming here or us <laughs> colonising another planet and exploring self and other. Yeah, we've had And how discussion. we're always called the other, mm. but how it would be if we we're were not. calling somebody else the other. Mm -hmm. So exploring things like that as There well. are movies around that, and not just Independence Day, but... Um, What's the African one with the District Nine? District Nine. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. All I had to say was African, <laughs> South African. Um, and I mean, even Chappie, the same, the same um, creators. Mm. 
uh, about having that other and society coming together as a whole because there is that other and we're not the other anymore. It's, I mean, uh, what is it? Clever Man is similar as well. Um, when we stop being the other because there is another other. Yeah, with it's, the hairy people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not healthy. No. It's, none of it is healthy. <laughs> it's not. We're not actually, we don't stop being the other, we just stop being the sub other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Anybody else have anything to say? No. Yeah. Add to the conversation. I'd love to know your ideas on, on uh, how we work with futurism without still existing in our trauma. Because like I said, this is a, yeah. this is a really new movement. So the more conversations we can have about it. Mm. Um, it was one of the first questions we talked about it was what are the examples when we were, I think I said I, we're going to work in this space, what are our examples to work from because Thula was such, an influ, was such a heavy influence on, on our ideas for, for the piece <coughs> that Bobby and I are working on. And we couldn't think of many there were, that were particularly within the absurdist comedic space. Um, so that, I guess that's where I, maybe the, com yeah, the yeah. conversation is intriguing. It's like, it's, just, it's, it's, it's maybe it's scary as well to think, what do we laugh at and what don't we laugh at? Well, totally. Where are we going to be? What will we laugh at? Yeah. And, and you know, what can we laugh at in the future? Well. Yeah. Cross-culturally as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one, also one of the things uh, I relied, myself and the, costume designer relied pretty heavily on um, the Hunger Games for the costume and makeup because the idea of the capital and then the outlying, the fringe dwellers essentially with, um, what is it, Area 12 or whatever. They're not called areas. They're called something like that. District. <laughs> Districts, that's it, District 12. And um, just how the the poverty <coughs> got worse and worse as, as you got further away from the capital. So I, I worked with the lawyer and the judge and um, the main uh, speakers being very absurd in their makeup and colourful, um, where and then the less assimilation, for lack of a better term, the less colourful they got to be. Yeah, yeah. Bobby and Tegan, I just wonder if you've got comfortable just sharing a bit about the show. Yeah, mm, we'd love to. to. I'm so excited. Um, so original, so back, quick backstory of the piece was in 2019, a friend and I, a colleague and I put together the idea of um, what if we made an Arnold Schwarzenegger musical, but with me as Arnie and, and as every other character. Um, and we tried to pitch that to people and they were like, cute, but no. Um, we were like, no, oh, we had all this cool music and everything. Oh, well. And then... Um, Bobby and I started working together last year on Dating Black, which we did. I did got to do with Eras, and there was it was a full on comedy. Um, it was uh, it still dealt with politics and uh, societal problems and mining and all this stuff, um, but n no trauma whatsoever. It was a contemporary dating black fellas dating show, mm. and I got to be the wadler in the show <laughs> and experience what it was like to be in a room. <laughs> with Indigenous actors who were experiencing what it was like to not have to play characters living through trauma. Um, I hope that, that's all right. For the first time. Out. Yeah. yeah. Um, we had uh, one, of, one of our actors who'd been a ghost and a, and a dead person and a persecuted man, we talk about Maitland, yeah. 
Maitland's characters up until that point for two, three, four years had been all of these characters and he's a funny guy and he got to, he had a moment where he was like, I'm not used to this shit, I'm used to dying on, <laughs> I've got to make a joke. <laughs> to even give me drama, yeah. give me drama. And to see him find his funny bones again, which are there because outside of playing a character, he's a, He's hilarious. He's a, mm. he's a dickhead. <laughs> um, and so that was to sit back in a room and see that happening um, was uh, really profound um, because I'd never thought about that before. I thought from from modular perspective, I sit back and, I, you know, you, you see those stories and hearing the stories and seeing the stories portrayed on stage, on film, are really important. But we didn't have to... But I was like, I didn't even think about what it would be like to relive your trauma as your craft. Mm. Your craft is meant to be what you love and escape from and continuously asking people to live their trauma and their craft as one, which was really, um, really confronting, I guess. Um, and then we got to just have fun and become a family. And so the so then that's where this 2019 idea, Bobby and I wanted to work together. We actually connected on some, you know, things with our own with family issues, family traumas. Um, we our kids are the same age; they have the same issues. It's some similar issues at school. So we had other other connections that we that we had made. I love connections. I'm Aboriginal. It's all about re relationality, connections. connections. Yeah, I just think they're beautiful. Yeah. We were in a space that was created, Annie Ray, so Raymond Morrison, who was in it, the first thing she said to me when I went, walked into the room was, um, call me Ray and I'm your auntie. And, it, and so it was like, all right, well, she set up a family space for us, everyone was family, and then Bobby and I found that we were probably sisters at some point because we, 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 so, we connected so well. Um, so then the idea of, after we were talking and we had all these big ideas about we both wanted to play these cool characters. We both were sick of being in the between the ages of you know forty to fifty and not having um, great roles for us. We had all these big grandiose ideas, and we were like, "Great, let's make a show. Let's make a show." But we didn't have a platform for it. And also, what connected us was trauma. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So I showed Bobby this idea, and I was like, "I was trepidatious. I was like, I don't." is this too far? Is this going too far? Because this is silly. This is a big, silly, quirky idea. And it's literally based on The Running Man. It's like one of Arnie's lesser known films. It is my favourite film of all time. And it's set in 2017, um, which, and so like, and it, it was just, it's about how, how the world is so dystopian. And I love this idea that the 80s, we go to these films as escapism, but they got it right. So there's all this stuff in these films and we watch them and they're violent and they're stupid and they're, you know, and there's dumb lines and all these sort of things. And, and yet when you watch it, it's about capitalism. It's about the media controlling, um, controlling the world. It's about um, blood sports being, uh, being idolised. It's about... Um, uh, absolute capitalist control. It's about extortion on product. It's so many things. It's it's about a lack of resources. The land is gone. You're like, oh my God, this is a 
this was a low, this is like number 30 on the list of top Arnold Schwarzenegger films and it's got all of this stuff in it. Um, plus mute, plus lasers is what we keep saying, plus lasers. Um, and I think marrying that with the idea of looking at culture, I was just allowed to be immersed in a room full of culture and allowed to be, to play in that space and um, hear these stories. So how can we use these two and put them together and talk about trauma, not not specifically tra Indigenous trauma, but trauma using this trope. But then sitting in a space where there was so much culture, it was like, why would we not use the beautiful culture that we've just talked about as well? That was part of that story. My character in Dating Black is a, is a Wadula who is who is accepted in a, into a, a, a black family, into an mm -hmm. Aboriginal family. So she's essentially seen as a black fellow. That's part of the story is mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. there's a, re there's a realisation at one point that, oh, wait, she's not a, she's not a black fellow. Because there's a, there's a lot of talk about Wadjalas in the story and, um, yeah, not giving too much away in case we tour and then you we can are. come see the show. Um, <laughs> So how do we do that cross-culturally and how do we do that but use, use Noongar <coughs> spiritualism safely, culturally? And make it silly. And make it dumb. And I, and I think taking all of that and putting it in this abstract alien environment mm. lightens the trauma. Totally. And that uh, idea of escapism, we watch these films still for escapism, mm. But the escapism of the 80s actually got it right. We are, and like you were saying about resetting Thula 10 years in the future. Mm. We're not too far away these, from it. Those films are 20, we're at the time that those films were and probably in another 10 years we might be in a space where we're watching mm. people run for dollars or robocops running around. Yeah. As a Wadula myself, I found it really enlightening. Um, I work at Uriyaka. <laughs> I just brought my whole game, team. Like, <laughs> rehearsals and production over and over. And the best thing that I found was the, the comedy um, and the fact that it was present. Mm. It's present time. It's yeah. not stuck in the past. It's not yeah. stuck on about anything. It's just about living now. Mm. Living now between mixed race and moving forward together, and making mistakes together, and all that sort of stuff. And the beautiful thing that I found is the cast and the crew was just being part of that and the joy that was part of the production mm. that was yeah. not. It was very, very deliberate that that Dating Black was set in the now because a, a lot of shows I've done um, since coming back to the company have been contemporary. It's about how do we exist as blackfellas now yeah. um, rather than looking backwards. And I've done that deliberately so that in the next few years I can start looking to the future. Um, but I, I needed to bring us up in, in people's minds and in, in societal conversations. I needed to bring us into the now. Um, because quite often when blackfellas are talked about, it, we say traditional, uh, we say history, we say colonisation even, um, and we forget to say that we actually, we're part of everything now in the here and now, in the nature, you know. So, um, yeah, so it was very intentional that I wanted stories in the now on, on what our issues are now, which is things like dating in your 40s. Yeah. But that's everybody. <laughs> that's everybody's issue, dating yeah, in your Exactly. 40s, right? <laughs> but that's the point. We, exactly. we are a part of every conversation and every issue. We don't, we don't sit outside of society as a separate issue. And how does that sit in a narrative as an audience member? Um, with Tegan and I's show that we're doing, we don't want the audience, we don't want her indigeneity 
spoken about, there's going to be like culture. Uh, and mm. culture. There's going to be cultural culture weaves through yeah. it. It's there, but in that way, the audience can take what they want from it. Yeah, their own personal. But it's also, I mean, we say we're going to weave culture into things. Of course, we are because we we are culture. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> um, uh, and and I'm really excited by this because I'm excited to see Bobby's way of being, not not way of doing. You know, not not how can I put my culture into this, and and more how can I put myself into, into this? this? Yeah. 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 That's how it point. started. And our mm. questions back and forth are always about so. Working in the space, it, it is a question um, of because we're using spiritualism and spirituality in there. We, I think, we're, there's always a checking in point. Oh, going, always making sure it's it's um, like we'll lock an idea in, and I'll go home and five hours later message Tegan and say, "Oh no, we can't do that because this, 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 this." You got to have your permission. So, so then the improviser, goes, yeah. All right, so let's do this. Gets it back. We go, yep, back and forth, back and forth, and we work it out. And it's a really exciting way of working through it because it's not changing our storyline or changing our our outcome and our goal, but we're it's giving it so much more substance. It is, and it's being respectful. And so we're playing. It's playing in the space, and it feels safe. It. Um, but something funny about that. I wanted a a place where the character finds respite and a nyama hole. Where there's water. <laughs> and okay, so she finds an armor hole, she has water. Then the, the Irish in Tegan turned my nyama hole into the local bar that's now called the nyama hole. Nyama hole is a rock hole, just letting you know like, where the water is in the rock. <laughs> yeah, we know that. No, <laughs> not everyone knew that. It's on the rocks. <laughs> I love our water on the rocks, thanks. Water on the rocks. <laughs> That's doing that. <laughs> I love it. So the, the goal for our show ultimately is a kick-ass synth musical with all of this culture woven into it with kick-ass characters who are female. The actors are two females who play everything from the biggest dickhead Trump-esque character down to the people that populate the lands. Um, to show the variety of actors of a certain age um, and gender, um, and also, but then also have these moments in there that maybe are just for Nora, for mob, for mob, and Irish, and Irish, I, of course, yeah. Well, because you're putting your culture into absolutely. it, whether you believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, so that's it, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about colonisation in Indigenous futurism and. Um, empowerment. Can we touch maybe a bit, because I'm really curious about this myself, about the concept of time mm. in Indigenous futurism? You want to we... know what I tell everyone? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I, the I believe... There's the non-linear. Yeah, well, I believe blackfellas work on spiral time. Um, a lot of a lot of people will say blackfellas work on circular time, which is also true, but, but I see it as a spiral because the time... The time, the necessary time works to a point and to that point. So an event happens when it's supposed to be, supposed to happen. And I mean, we see that with our mobs all the time. You know, we'd be like, we need to get this thing in, we need to do this. And I just hang on, just it'll happen. And it does surprise We have no idea how, but it does. And it happens in exactly the right time. Mm -hmm. And we've done a lot of works where, um, 
we've been programmed to do it in a year, but it needs more time because we haven't got the right respects or mm -hmm. um, the right permissions and right, right. And, and, but when it happens, always tends to be exactly the right time mm -hmm. um, for the community and for everyone else. And so they, they, I work on this idea of spiral time and trying my hardest not to stress over time mm -hmm. because of that. Um, <coughs> yeah, so I, I wonder, I mean, in the future, I wonder if it's the same. That's quite a micro aspect, but you can look at it in a macro yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, I can't think of an example right now. Give me a sec. Get my imagination going. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, about time and how all things are connected and well, interconnected, totally. yeah. inanimate and animate, which is something that Indigenous futurism really, really touches on. Yeah, yeah. And the connections. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't know how much more I need to say, but I agree. I completely agree. Yeah. And, and that's why things take the time they, they need to, to happen because everything is connected. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's also why when things happen, they happen at the right time because yeah. everything's, everything's ready for it. Everything's and that's the right time. That's interesting for myself and what Tegan and I are working on and putting that non-linear mm. aspect through a narrative. Yeah. yeah. I think theatre reflects that quite often in that things happen at the right time. In the, the wonderful device of theatre of planting seeds mm. uh, throughout and then, and then the thing happens, the catalyst happens and you're like, Oh, that came out of nowhere. But then you think about it and you're like, oh, no, they, this is the right time. This is exactly because they've given me just enough clues to get there. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's why I like theatre so much. But it's mm. because, because it, it works on a spiral system of every prop has a purpose. Every set, set element has a purpose. And it's all leading yeah. in a spiral way to that moment where you go, oh, of course. Yeah, fair enough. Now, how are we going to get out of this? You know? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Any questions? Anybody have anything? You said something before about how like yeah, like the industry has to catch up and you have to consider your programming to match where the rest of the society is at. Uh, or well, actually to, to surpass where society is at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, in order to get to where you want to be, you have yeah. to kind of take that into consideration and where are you feeling like that's at with regards to indigenous futurisms in terms of um I guess what I'm wanting to ask about is the barriers in terms of like what kind of difficulties you're coming up against that you can see and like what opportunities you're seeing at the same time as that. That was a big question. Yeah, like it, it, it's a movement that's new. Yeah. It feels I, new, but it's actually not. Yeah. 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 It's really like, I mean, look at, it's deliberate that I put the contemporary in the last couple of years. Um, it's also deliberate that I took a play from the 90s and made it, uh, put it in the now with an Indigenous uh, cast because I wanted to see how my audiences would react. And my audiences have all reacted very positively over these new concepts that aren't actually that new. They're just, mm. they're just new in the minds of how people perceive Indigenous people. Um, so because my audiences have taken these shows really well, it's now time to move forward. The, the idea of futurism now is perfect. Yeah, Yeah, it's the right time. As far as I'm concerned, let me know if you disagree because I'm up for the conversation. You know? But um, I think also one of the things that I instilled in that same vein when I when I came back to Perth and took this role was that it's our table now. It's back to being our table. So this is our platform. You're very welcome to come along with us. But I want to know how blackfellas talk to blackfellas. I want to know how we're <coughs> existing in the now amongst each other first. And then we'll showcase that on stage. And 
audience, non-Indigenous audiences are loving it because that onus of of guilt or mm. um, responsibility, it's, they don't have to feel that anymore. Not that we've ever deliberately tried to make people feel guilty. We've just been trying to educate. But um, my thoughts are the conversations Bobby and I have in comparison to the conversations Tegan and I have are very different. And like Tegan confessed, she learned a lot more just by being around Blackfella conversations than actually asking a question. Uh, so this is what we want to do in future. It's more comfortable for us as well. And we don't have to relive our trauma because it's, it's uh, what's the word? We already know. We already know. It's assumed. That's the word. We get, we get what each other's been through so we can have a conversation in the now and into the future. So we'll keep doing that in our theatre because now is the time to do that. Mm, great answer. Yeah. Thank You're you. You're not feeling like the pressure from the industry in terms of like that. If, 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 if anything, the industry's with us on this. Totally. Yeah. They're, they're along for the ride. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Mention what happened at Dating Black. Oh, with the audiences. Yeah. So yeah, the, um, the audiences would come out of the show and um, they really, they really loved, embraced the show. Indigenous, non-Indigenous. A lot of the non-Indigenous um, feedback came to me straight to take him. Um, and it was audience members talking about how powerful it was, how lovely it was to see um, um, a show. <laughs> the I, this is a verbatim quote. They weren't hit over the head with trauma, mm. and I was like. Okay, good. You loved the show. This is wonderful. Um, I do hear what you're saying, but um, I'd love I'd love you to tell Maitland that. I'd love you to tell Annie Ray that. I'd love you to tell Bruce, our director, that. I'd love you to tell Bobby that. Um, they were comfortable saying it to me, but they and I, they were I, there was an well there was a well. It was well-intentioned It's always well-meaning. Well well, it's always well-meaning, but I was like, I, I wish you could hear what you're saying right now. Mm. Um, if that's your reason for coming to an Indigenous show because you're expecting guilt, is that the impetus to be going to a show? Like, don't you go to shows to be entertained and to feel? So you're escapism to feel as well. Escapism, absolutely. So you've come to a show... I don't know. I, I, I was always like, okay, so why, why, why did you come? I'm so glad you had a great time to the point where you felt you could say that to me, but why were you coming to the show in the first place? And I want you to know, <laughs> I want you to hear yourself so you can hear how dodgy that comment also sounds. <laughs> yeah. Um, if, does that make sense? Mm. Uh, it, yeah, it was... Um, because I went straight to you guys. I was like, this is what they're saying. Mm. This is what I heard. Because um, our conversations have changed mm. from me being in that space and in that room with you. So we, mm. you know, the guilt, you know, the white guilt thing, I was thinking about this today. I was like, has it just turned into accountability for me? It's like, well, you know, you don't feel the guilt anymore. You, um Bruce Denny used to give me a note when we would do the show in Dating Black. Um, he would always say, stop being so Fremantle, Tegan. And he, what he meant by that was, get off your soapbox. Because like, I had some lines in there that were, you know. Like, so it was, it was, he was, and it was a great note because I got what he meant. It was like, you don't, you're in a, you're a black fella play. Stop 
you're not speaking on behalf of people. You've got to learn to, to be the person who supports, not the person who speaks on behalf of. Um, I feel like that's been where my big shift has, has been. There was something I said uh, probably about seven years ago when I sat in a forum and I was the only Indigenous person kind of on the panel and getting a lot of questions of how do we do better, what do we do, the normal kind of questions. And, I, and I'm going to swear on this recording right now. I just turned around to everyone and I said, I just want you to own your shit. And they were like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's history. It happened. We acknowledge this. Just own it. Own your shit and we can all move forward. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's why Indigenous Futurism is such We've, an awesome platform. We've owned it. Yeah. 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 To own it, display it, yeah. talk about it, and have conversations. Yeah. And mm. it's a platform for fun, humour, absurdism, fantasy, joy, mm. um, hope. Mm -hmm. So many, without losing sight of some of some of those, you know, we. And we can be a little bit politically incorrect. Take a couple of stabs at some people or whatever, but because of the absurdity and the abstract alien world, it's going to be okay. Mm. So shows like Bloody Family Guy, American Dad, all of that stay on TV. The Simpsons for so long because it's absurdity addressing societal issues in this crazy environment. So how mm. seriously are we going to take it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh. We can take it seriously if we want to. We mm. Take what we want from it. And you already have the escapism of theatre to do that as well. Mm. You have an escapist realm. People go to the theatre for a, mm. a less than realistic view of, of topics and issues. People absorb um, you pinpointing the now mm. a lot better in the future. So you say, okay, so this is how our society is completely stuffed up right now. We're living in it. This is what's happening. Let's talk about that in 20 years' time. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, I'd love to have that conversation. <laughs> I don't want to talk about now because it's, it's traumatic and it's, it's hard, but let's talk about what we're going to talk about now in 20 years. And people love that. I love that. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of dystopian yeah. because I like the idea of, yes, everything can absolutely go to shit, but we will survive, and we've proven it time and time again that that's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bob, you touched on earlier about the opportunities that um, the framework of kind of science fiction and futurism gives women in particular. Can you touch on that a bit more? Um, again, it's, it's taking something and putting it in that alien environment, like I said. But I'm really interested in the matriarchy. Mm. and where the matriarchy sits in our future. Um, and I think science fiction um, provides a great framework to work with feminism, um, female empowerment, um, and that's what all those teenage dystopian, you know, like Divergent, even Ambler's mm. Book of Shala, they're strong, young female characters. Well, we want a strong, older female character. Yeah. So just taking the frameworks that science fiction has and just layering it with what I know. Yeah, that doesn't turn into a villain. I was just yeah. thinking like most of the middle-aged older women are villains. Villains, yeah. And they've been forced to through societal expectations and pressures and rah-rah. Okay, yeah, I'm more excited now. 
<laughs> we haven't pitched it to it yet. <laughs> it's going really This well. is their pitch. It's going really well. Yeah. It's amazing work. Wow. Plus lasers. Um, plus lasers. <laughs> hey, I'm up for that. Um, Where can I buy my tickets, Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> She's someone going to write us a grant. Just that, yeah, but I'm waiting to yeah. see the proof. <laughs> Like, because science fiction traditionally, uh, the authors are so often white men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's been, the genre has been dominated by them. Mm -hmm. since, I mean, the first science fiction was a woman, but we've that. <laughs> but yeah. since then, yeah, so I guess I'm just, yeah. Well, I mean, look at what Tank Girl did for, for what's her name? See, here we go. Um, Korea. Mm. It, I love <laughs> Tank Girl. It's such a cool cult following, absurdist, futuristic play, uh, film, but... It really <laughs> ruined everyone that was a part of it because the world at the time, which was this early 90s, I think, um, couldn't fathom a woman in that level of strength. Yeah. Maybe it's that idea with sci-fi as well as it's, it's, done both, it's done both sides of the coin. Like it's been very male-heavy, like, again, like the films we're looking at. I mean, sci-fi came along the side. Sorry, Tegan. That's all right. It, it, the Industrial Revolution, mm. science fiction, Industrial Revolution, patriarchy. Mm. Of course, it's full of. Then you've got things like Star Trek, which has uh, lots of multi. What was that? I was like Deep Space Nine, Janeway, Janeway. Examples of um, of women in power and women mm. in charge. You've got, um, but it still of... follows that colonial narrative, like of complete military force. Mm. Yeah. So there's always that. There's always something that's something. That's there. why we just need Haven't to quite got indigenous there. futurism just to flip it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Cool. Yeah. yeah. What aspect, like this is such a, this might be a stupid question, but what aspects are, like when you talk about indigenous futurism, Noongar futurisms, what are the kind of aspects of it that, it, that differentiates it from your kind of colonialist science fiction? No, it's not me. Okay, um does that is that I think it's a gee, that's a hard question. I would say it's it's the process from and, and it, how we how we tackle things. It's a epist it's indigenous ways of being, knowing and doing. Mm. All of that is just layered on top. So my spiritual sense of Mother Earth, Buja, mm. is what I respect and pay homage to, mm. I would put that element into my piece. Mm. So just little things like that, mm. yeah. Does that answer your question? Sorry. Yeah, no, it does. No, it does. I just, yeah, it does totally. And this is all very new for me as well. Yeah, but you, mm. I mean, you have been spending so much time in it. It's like such a mm. joy to hear you talk about it. Thank you. Is there anything similar to that in the Canadian ones that you looked into that idea of um there's grace dylan she talks about non-linear and linear time mm. which we touched on yeah um and then there's the amblin quay with the uh the bad guy in her book is called who take he steals the children who have special powers the bad guy in that book is actually called neville rose mm. oh, yeah, right yeah Wonder who that's based yes. on. <laughs> so yeah, taking some of my spiritual spirituality, historical facts. It's not me. And placing that in in the narrative. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Mm. 
And apologies, I came a bit late, so apologies if you covered this when you, before I was here, but is there a particular relationship in your mind with technology, with the idea of often futurism, you know, speaks of technology and that's role in the future and many of those, you know, science fiction, et cetera, worlds are so, you know, technology plays a big role. Is that something you are imagining or thought about? Lasers. What I'd like to do is take our technology mm -hmm. and put it in a futuristic setting. And there's a, a comic book character called Gateway mm -hmm. that Marvel had done. Marvel created this character in the 1980s. And Gateway has a bull rush. So they're those... Um, communication tools that Aboriginal people used and made that noise, that bull rush noise. And he time travelled. So that was his portal when, he, when it went around and opened up a portal. So I'm more interested in taking our old technology and putting it into the future. Um, but another interesting thing about Indigenous futurism and technology is how certain groups of people don't have access to the technology that, that other groups of people have. Mm. So places like communities and where Wi-Fi and internet and things are sparse, I think that creates a bit of a divide with that idea around Indigenous futurism as well, because we don't have the technology that we want on hand. <coughs> I do, because I live in, a, live in a city, yeah. So um, we, a couple of years ago, we had a, a couple of amazing um, Indigenous playwrights write a radio play, just a 15-minute radio play for us in, as part of a collaboration with Canada and New Zealand. And um, one of our, well, actually both of them wrote futurism, but one of them wrote a future where we're all in a spaceship and get woken up at a certain year, hundreds of years in the future, and there's a robot that um, gives us back our memories and that includes our culture. So, yeah, I mean, it's something I absolutely love playing with the idea of technology and how it's going to advance along with us mm -hmm. um, and how that's going to fit in to our cultural knowledge um, because why wouldn't it? You know, contemporary blackfellas are going to take contemporary practices with us as we re-evolve our cultures. And we're the, oldest, we're the oldest living and mm. the oldest evolving culture. We're continuously evolving. Always, yeah. We don't survive if we don't evolve. So, no culture yeah. survives if it doesn't no. evolve. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I love the idea of, of working with technology into the future because I can't I can't foresee a future without technology unless it's dystopian. So yeah, I know like, yeah. I like taking our old technology and putting yeah. it into a future setting. So there's yeah. different ways you can play with it. Yeah. I guess you could look at technology as science and how science the scientific like so much of oh we're the oldest science. so much of knowledge. Mm. This science, like the, the the science and spiritualism, are so intertwined in the culture. You know, knowing bush, with bush medicines, with um, we live in a country that's continuously trying to kill us. If we totally. weren't scientists, we wouldn't have survived. <laughs> Uncle Nick, <laughs> at the, the TNA, yeah, when Uncle Nick was talking about um, eugenics and about the theory of eugenics, and we were doing that for generation upon generation before it was coined. It's it's yeah. like. Um, I mean, that for me, I identify that it would be as technologies, science and technology is one. It's like the science already existed. Mm. Um, we Westerners had to catch up. 
Yeah. Well, and give it a name. They, they yeah. Steal it. Give it a name. <laughs> the intricate social structures. People just didn't understand it, so it didn't get coined. Yeah. <laughs> Any questions? Anybody got anything else to say? Oh, Not yet. Um, with the like the the science, particularly I think Afrofuturism and like the writing of Octavia Butler and that kind of tradition of work. There's um. A lot of ways that the science fiction, like, uh, sorry, my brain was yeah, <laughs> deflating for a second. Um, there's, um, but I, I wanted to ask about, um, I guess, like, all the different ways of being with regards to gender, sexuality, disability, like, class, a lot of different forms of oppression that have been created by colonization, and how you see all of those different kind of things coming to. I guess be yeah presented in like in art in indigenous ways through the kind of work that you're making well not not this show specifically but mm. the movement more broadly I think the only way I can answer that is to say I've been asked a lot and I, correct me if I'm wrong here Bobby but I've been asked a lot what Aboriginal theatre is and my instant response is whatever we make so we could make whatever we want to do and it's still going to be an indigenous way of doing things you know, it, it, it is, because whatever we do, we do it in a blackfella way because we're blackfellas. So, so that's how I see our art progressing is as we want to make it. Yeah. I think, I don't know if that answers your question. No, but that's true. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. It's a simple question, I think, at the end of the day. I think often, like, um, yeah, I, I think, like, in terms of um, the fact that these are kind of identity categories that have been created by colonization mm. they're kind of constructs that exist within that kind of frame of reference obviously in a very real way yeah yeah but also like yeah outside of that um in yeah we've had a lot of works like almost every work yuri Yakin's ever done we've had someone comment on i i would have thought that would be more aboriginal or i would have thought there would have been more aboriginal content in that um and yeah, I mean, my response is really similar. It, there were Aboriginals in it, therefore there was Aboriginal content in it. You know, <laughs> like we don't, uh, and that's and that's kind of what I mean by this is our table now as well. Is we we're going to talk to each other how we want to talk to each other and not try and make work for you anymore. <coughs> Come along, yeah, and it's quite exciting. Yeah, so it's that it's it's not giving in to the conception of what our art should be mm. to to an outside of lens. Yeah. Um, it's us making the work we think is important for our communities and you coming along for the ride. Yeah. And I think Indigenous Futurism is, is a really great way to capture our young audience. They're very much so. Interest as well and, mm -hmm. and um, get them to show interest in feminist issues, environmental issues, whatever we want to talk about. It's really piece. important right now yeah. too. Uh, our I think our young people are having trouble envisaging a future right now. Yeah. So it's really important that we start making work to show them what the future can look like. Yeah. And so do you think, Note like, is there more work, you know, because you've both said that it's quite a, Indigenous futurism is both really old but also mm. kind of emerging again, mm. re-emerging maybe. Like, do you see that there's more work being made in this space, like more Indigenous futuristic work, or it's just that we're talking, people are talking about it in that particular? Um, no, there's definitely more work being made. Um, like Claire Coleman does a lot of work. There's a young man now from up north, sorry, I can't remember his name, but he's done his, the first 
Indigenous comic book character. Mm. Um, and her name's called Thylacine. Mm. Um, so Marvel have done their bit, but with no Indigenous input. Yeah. And this young man's come along and created this whole character, and he's going to Comic-Con and mm. just this whole, it's, yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple, but not much, in all honesty, not much. It hasn't all. grown for a long time. It's, it's stuck in scholarly yeah. circles. Right. Yeah. And how do you, like... How do you move it out of the scholarship? Study it in the masters and write a play. <laughs> <laughs> and then get it picked up by Yuri. Well, no, and from my point of view, is show us in the now so we can move to the future. Yeah. You know, because we also don't have a whole lot of people writing about now. Yeah. We've got a lot of people writing about the past. So, yeah, I mean, in exactly both of those ways is how we can move forward. Mm. So when, when we start being seen as contemporary people, we can start looking at the future. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. <laughs> <laughs> what time have we got? It's nearly three o'clock. Three o'clock on the dot. Three o'clock on the dot, and I thought I couldn't hold your attention for an hour. Oh, <laughs> I'm dreaming. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Anybody have any last minute questions? No statements. And statements. Anything. anything to add on? Have you heard the book, um, the anthology Unlimited Futures? No. Oh my gosh. Who wrote it? So um, this came out last this year. Unlimited uh, Features? Was it? Yeah, Unlimited Features. Um, it was co-edited with um, Rafif Ismail, who's a, a locally based Sudanese writer, and uh, Ellen Van Nieven as well. Yeah. And it's a black and black speculative fiction anthology. Mm. So it's all short stories. Anne Boleyn, Claire, um, Sasson Kay, they've all kind of written in it as well. Are they going to be at the And a lot of emerging writers. We, um, but it's, it's a fantastic piece. Yeah, we did it last yeah. year. But we talked about it. Yeah, it's a great, oh, amazing anthology. Yeah. Um, Fremantle Press, I think, yeah. released it. Yeah, and Grace Dillon's got a great one. Um, the Anna Shabe woman is called an anthology of Walking in the Clouds. Yeah. That's yeah. a really yeah. great yeah. one as well. Yeah. Mm. I think it's Brenton McKenna who's the comic. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's Brenton McKenna, yeah. Thank you. I will be Googling these people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, is there a way we could send out, like, just a list of authors or, re like, things through maybe Research. the slackety bouncing? Yeah, I'll yeah. send you an email. Sure. That would be great. Not a problem. I've only got three down and there were a lot more. Oh, yeah, I want, I want them all too, so it's Yeah, so interesting. And the idea of spiral time. Yeah. I know that. I just, I had to spend, yeah. and that is just like, whoa, stop. <laughs> when you talk about spiral time, how does that meet the linear timeline of, like, making the show? Like, the pointy end of a show. Yeah. So you, you, you want to put a linear, line, like, chapter one, chapter act one, act two, act three, whatever. Mm. But under that are layers of time about how the characters react. So act one could be the future. Then act two, we skip back to the past. So we're... But there's well, also, if, you, if you're... Got, you know okay, I mean? so your show's going to happen here and you've got it in a, a linear narrative and, and you, you come along... Not a linear narrative, a deadline. You've got a deadline to put the show on. And you're coming along, you're doing all your creative developments and things like that. And... When, when you get to it and you realise that it's actually not the right time, you have to realise that you're here on the spiral, not here. And, and you have to be, help, be held accountable for that and say, actually, now is not the right time. It needs, it needs a bit more time. How do we, and, yeah. yeah, you just have to be flexible around it. And how do we put that in a narrative, though, in a storyline, that spiral concept? I think it kind of already is. 
like I was like I was saying with the play, you, you've fed all these hints and stuff, and and when that that pinpoint is the crux to the situation, the the climax. So it already is. You've been given all these clues, and you get to that point in time that where things go whoa. You know? yeah. <laughs> Here we are. But there's that yeah. point in time that you get to where you're still going to go back to the past. You still have to. There's still a spiral underneath that. Yeah. You still have to come out of it. Yeah. We don't exist in that moment forever See, and the next conversations that we've never had <laughs> and the next issue is a spiral unto its own so it's not there's not spirals on a line there's many spirals mm. yeah but i love that idea of like you know you know you're on a spiral and you think that this is the end point and you get to it and it's like it's still here yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. like expectations like you yeah. know it's also the idea of when you when you think you're gonna you're at an end point and it's not the end point. You realise you're actually, it's still actually on the just spiral. changing the expectations of what that end point is exactly. to meet the end point. Yeah. And it's even just like this, you know, like I just um, noting, observing, I think the word is, we've done it right here. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't time for us to finish. So we've yeah, kept, so we going. kept going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And when, it, when silence happens and everyone's deep in thought, it's time to finish. <laughs> I just love it too because it's that, you know, the. the I'm more and more believing that the the culture of a way that a work is built mm. is actually the success. It's the more important sometimes than the outcome. Yeah. Often, you know, that bullshit like, oh, that what is that unspeakable magic that we saw on stage? And I more and more believe that it's it's not the great writing or the great acting. It's actually how it was, how it was made, and it's mm. that invisible world that you can you can feel. Mm-hmm. And you know that. The spiral talks to that so much, yeah. but because of this linear timeline that is imposed so often, yeah. mm. the, that invisible world gets beaten up and gets... Yeah. And it's, spiral time's not easy to explain to people. Mm. <laughs> it happens in everything, everything you do. And I'm overthinking yeah. it here myself, <laughs> but I know as a black fellow, I naturally do it anyway. Yeah. There's a point you get where you're so stressed and you're like, I'm not going to meet this, I'm not going to do that. And then there's a, a moment where you're like, it's all right. Yeah. It's okay. It'll happen when it's supposed to happen and I'm just going to chill through this. And you get more done in that moment than you do in your stressing moments. So and that's the point for me. And in a sp- You're spiralling downwards literally <laughs> to a deadline and you're not going to meet that deadline and you just need to have that thought of it's okay. I'm... You know, no one has stopped breathing, no one has, and this will get done. And and I tend, I'm a hyper focuser, but I tend to get it done in those moments where I actually, I say to, I'm past caring now. Mm-hmm. I'm past caring, and I'm going to get it done. Maybe and it works. It's like in a devising process. It's those but what if moments. You know, mm. when you start devising, start devising, and then someone goes, but what if, and then you end up spiraling. <laughs> You're spiraling, yeah. And then you come right round and go all right, we need to refine all those ideas so you've got a smaller circle and then there's another. But what if this, it's refined, so that's where the spot, my image of the spiral getting smaller and smaller as it goes down is because in devising you start with all those massive ideas, then they get condensed, then they get refined refined and refined. But but those what if moments are still needed to Mm. accentuate and define the story and the character. So... Essentially, I'm really interested in how you take this concept and, and, and see if it works in, in your world. Essentially, this, the idea of spiral time was something that I envisaged. I was like, this works for me. 
Um, I, I see what circular time is, I absolutely see what it is, but when it comes to an issue, a point, uh, an event, and, and you know, even when I'm going to wake up tomorrow, it made more sense in my head that it was a spiral um, to, to a point, to a, an issue, a, an event, or something, um, than circular. Because we, we deal with everything circular in our relationships, but in, in regards to our own lives and our own timelines, I believe it's spiral. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> Please let me know how that goes for you. <laughs> I'm really interested. I just have one more question for you, Eva. Are you, so you did the work with WAPA last year. Well, I did all of you. Are you making any more kind of works that sit within Indigenous futurism, or are you focusing on the present? I'm focusing on providing platforms for other people to do that. Um, I'm always making work in my head, but whether I have time to actually put that on paper is a different story. Um, yeah, 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 that's the job. <laughs> um, but I'm always looking for uh, pathways to create more work in futurism, always. I have, I said, said to Bobby, I'm so cool, I'm happy for this conversation because I think for the last three years since I started, I keep moving the goalpost on when our year is themed future um, because it, it's not happening fast enough for me, but it's happening in the right time. So I'm excited. Spiral time, that's right, it's happening in the right time and it will come later than I wanted it to, but it will come. Yeah. The phrase spiral time. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, there was, I wanted to start with heroes and future straight away, but then I realised that we're not ready for that. Like, not only are we not ready for that, we are not ready for that. And so that's when I went with the uh, healing histories and the contemporary um, blackfellow themes, because we can't look into the future until we understand and accept our past and, and deal with our present. Mm. So, yeah. That's Sorry. also interesting in terms of like you talked about matriarchs, mm. the matriarchal line, like we're in a patriarchal mm -hmm. structure, Greenwich Mean Time, man-made time. Very much. When you get pregnant and have a baby, the baby doesn't go, right, this, this is my date. Come out. <laughs> spirals in the womb and comes out when the baby and the body and the person are ready. Yeah, and the time, and the is, time right. is right. So I think that's really interesting. That's beautiful. Huh? Thank you. <laughs> Mm. I run Mothers Who Make. Yeah. You're in it, but you don't know. Um, and I've been talking a lot about time in that mm. um, and about bending time and also my other work is I work with children and mm. you can't make children. Have no concept of time. Be ready. <laughs> and the, the joy of working with children and young people is their sense of time experience very bodily mm. in their own way and to drop into that with them and experience yep. in the now what is now for them. <coughs> yeah. there's, also, there's also the concept that men, like the patriarchy is on linear time, but women are on the cyclical, cyc uh, cyclical, cyclical, cyclical. Mm. Um, on cyclical time because of like the nature of bodies, and cycles, cycles. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. Mm. Cool. Mm. Okay. So next discussion about time. Thanks, people. I <laughs> reckon. <laughs> Done a whole session yeah. <laughs> so deeply fascinating. Yeah. 2023 programming is away. <laughs> awesome. It's done. 2024 programs. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you so much.